Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our reading today comes from the book of Acts. All summer long, we're in the book of Acts today. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It's a a short story, uh, but I'd invite you as I read it to to listen to the nuances uh, in this story. What's going on? About that time, while the number of disciples continued to increase, a complaint arose. Greek-speaking disciples accused the Aramaic-speaking disciples because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food service. The twelve called a meeting of the disciples and said, It isn't right for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables. Brothers and sisters, carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. We will put them in charge of this concern. As for us, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the service of proclaiming the Word. This proposal pleased the entire community. They selected Stephen, a man endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional faith, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. The community presented these seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. God's word continued to grow. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even a large group of priests embraced the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, word of God, speak to us. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to our souls. May we know more for having heard these words from you, but may we be more. May you shape and form us by your spirit and your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first verse, about that time, while the number of disciples continued to increase, a complaint arose. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) Conflict. I hate conflict. I hate conflict. I struggle with conflict. I take conflict very personally. I feel conflict in my bones. When, When conflicts are over, I continue to feel them for a very long person. What can I tell you? I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't like it. It drains my energy. I've been accused of avoiding conflict, and that's likely true. And yet, in every significant relationship I've ever had, in every meaningful group that I've ever participated in, there has been conflict. It just seems to be inevitable, unavoidable, from marriage to parenting to the workplace to 
family, extended family, friends, neighbors, and yes, even church. I know you don't believe that, but yes, even churches have conflict. In fact, you know, probably not surprising given my profession, but I've experienced more conflict in church than anywhere else. Now, I know, I, I get it, I know that conflict isn't in and of itself a bad thing. Even though it makes me uncomfortable, maybe it makes you uncomfortable, even though it has a, a tense moment, oftentimes avoiding conflict actually just makes it worse, doesn't it? That the longer we don't deal with it, the longer we don't resolve it, the longer we don't talk about it, the more intense the feelings get, and then it comes erupting out at a time that you didn't really mean for it to. And the value is, if we once we get it out, we, we, now we know what the issue is. I didn't know you were feeling that way. I didn't know that was offending you. I did, it, there's an opportunity there to, to solve the issue, to reconcile the issue, to seek forgiveness for reconciliation. It can actually lead to, to more productive outcomes. It can, doesn't always, but it, but it can. Well, today really is a sermon about conflicts. The story from Acts 6, 1 through 7 is really a story about accepting, acknowledging, dealing with a conflict and finding a creative solution. Acts 6.1, about that time, while the number of disciples continued to increase, that's a great thing, a complaint arose. Uh Uh-oh. Greek-speaking disciples accused the Aramaic-speaking disciples because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food service. Now, what's the issue here? What's the core issue? There was a need to distribute food to the widows. That's the issue, that the widows needed food and there wasn't enough going around meeting all of the needs. Now, let me just talk about widows for a moment. In biblical times, in times, ancient world, there was a special emphasis on caring for widows and orphans. Why? Because they were the most uh, vulnerable of society. Uh, particularly widows. Widows, women in that day didn't have property rights, employment rights. They were dependent upon either their spouse or their children or their community. If a widow or an orphan didn't have extended support, they could find themselves quite destitute. And so very, you know, very early in the Old Testament, go back to Exodus, uh, we're told by God, don't treat any widow or orphan badly. If you, do not, if you do treat them badly and they cry out to me, you can be sure I'll hear their cry. Do you hear the warning? Because right? <laughs> they take care of them. I'm watching, right? I'm listening. And so here we have in the New Testament a, a continuance of this very ancient value, this very important priority, and they didn't seem to have enough food to go around. This was the first church conflict. Hungry widows. A problem with distributing resources to the widows. But there was actually another conflict that gets mentioned here. Did did you catch it? There was an accusation. The the Greek-speaking apostles accused the Aramaic-speaking apostles of showing favoritism to the Aramaic widows, meaning that the gospel, the, the, the Greek-speaking widows weren't getting enough. Did you catch all that? Right? So there's a division. There's two groups. Now, now let me clarify this just a little bit. Historically, in ancient times, Jews were from 
Judea, which you see on the map. And they spoke Aramaic. Aramaic was a, a kind of an evolving language that came from the ancient Hebrew of the Old Testament. So if you were Jewish, you probably were Judean regionally, and you spoke Jewish or Aramaic. Now, over time, though, there were a number of Jews who were Jewish, ethnically, religiously Jewish, but they dispersed into other parts of the world. And outside of Judea, the language of the day throughout the known world was Greek. In every other way, they were Jewish, ethnically, culturally, spiritually. They observed all of the traditions wherever they lived. But apparently, when they came together, there was at least a feeling that if you were a Greek Jew, you were a second-class Jew. Or that they were in some way feeling that they were being marginalized. Are you following? Jesus was a Judean Jew who spoke Aramaic. The 12 apostles were Judean Jews who spoke Aramaic. So we have a problem. There, there is the existing power group that are of one kind of common language and then new folks who are around who are saying, you don't treat us the same. And most importantly, you're not treating our widows, the most vulnerable, in the way that we know that they should be. There was an issue. There was a conflict. There was accusation, right? Now let's be clear, the primary issue from start to finish in this is caring for the widows. The widows weren't being fed properly. But another issue arose. There was a sense of unfairness. And that sense of unfairness became the driving primary conflict, right? It wasn't, they didn't come to the table and say, hey, mom's hungry, <laughs> or you know, the widows are hungry. How do we get more food? It was, you're not being fair, right? So we have a second issue. Of course, that wouldn't be the last time the church had a conflict, right? Or that the church was divided by some sense of bias or prejudice. How many of us have heard that Sunday morning is the most segregated day of the week in America? We probably could also say that the church is the most segregated institution in America. And that's unfortunately still often too true. Now, Aramaic-speaking Judean Jews apparently were in charge of the food service. Now, was it the 12 apostles? We don't know. They didn't say that specifically. Could it have been newer Judean disciples who were kind of in charge of this at this point, handling it? I, I suspect that was the case, but we don't know for sure. But it was up to the 12, Jesus' 12, to come up with a solution, which raised a third conflict. Did you follow these? First, we don't have enough food to go around. Second, we have a, a, an, an accusation of unfair bias. And now comes the third issue. The early church, as we've read here, was growing rapidly. That meant lots of new people coming in, and those new people needed to be instructed. Well, whose job was it to do the instructing? It makes sense it was the apostles, right? They were there for three years with Jesus. They learned from him firsthand. They witnessed the miracles. They saw him die. They watched, saw him resurrected and saw him ascend. It made sense that they would be the ones that would need to instruct these new disciples. And you can imagine 
a, a whole big mass of new folks who don't really understand what's going on yet, how easily things could get twisted, right? Are we still Jewish? What are the rules? Do we, do we have to keep eating the same thing? Do we have to keep doing the same? What about these Gentiles that are hanging out? Like, what, what are the rules? And so the disciples, the 12 apostles rather, felt very strongly, we cannot abandon our job to teach and preach, to proclaim the word. That cannot be abandoned for any issue, including this one. So the question is, how would the 12 oversee this particular problem of feeding the widows and now an issue of bias in the early church and continue their work of teaching? So here's the solution. Verses 2 and 3. It isn't right for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables. Brothers and sisters, carefully choose Seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. We will put them in charge of this concern. Now, now just a surface-level reading of that might say, well, the apostles apparently don't want to get their hands dirty. The apostles apparently think they're pretty important. They need to keep teaching and preaching, and they're just going to leave all this to somebody else. That is not what's happening in this passage at all. They're not... They're not ignoring the problem. They're not avoiding the conflict, which I could be avoided, you know, accused of doing. They're not, they're not saying this is too small for us. Rather, they're saying this is so important that if you put it in our hands, it'll get neglected. This is so important that we need to elevate individuals that this will be their ministry, Right? This will become a priority in the, in the early church. It was a, it was a creative, uh, innovative solution. Hear it again. Brothers and sisters, carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. We'll put them in charge of this concern. So you see there's three conflicts going on. You're following this, right? Feeding widows, dealing with bias, and now division of duties and labor. Isn't that often where the conflicts in the church come from? A problem we don't know how to resolve, feelings that have gotten hurt because of a perceived lack of fairness, right? And demand, too many demands on limited resources. I mean, this is, this is going on in our church. This is going on in the church today. It's inevitable that in a group of any size, including the church, there will be different people who think different things are what matter the most. When there's limited resources and different values, even different theologies, inevitably coming to solutions can be a challenging thing. Folks who go to the 930 worship might think their worship is more important than the 11 o'clock worship or vice versa. Some people might think children's ministry is more important than youth ministry, which is more important than senior ministry or homebound ministry. Some people might think, really, we should be serving the members of our church. And others might, no, we should be serving the community, right? Or others like, we should be spending our money this way. No, we should be spending our money that way. Right? These sound at all familiar? This is, it, it's just human, right? The, the question isn't whether conflicts arise. The question is how do we as spirit-filled people navigate those challenges? Where do we find creative solutions? I think this is a good example. This story is a good example of how the Spirit can lead us 
in what modern-day leadership people call adaptive leadership. Uh, some of you may know of the, the Harvard professor, uh, Ronald Heifetz. He's sort of a leadership guru. He says, adaptive leadership is the practice of mobilizing people to tackle tough challenges and thrive. Adaptive leadership is the practice of mobilizing people to tackle tough challenges and thrive. I love the word thrive, right? Who doesn't want to thrive? That's the goal, right? We want, we want to ultimately come to a solution so that we can thrive. Adaptive leader, leadership is saying, you know, the old ways of solving problems might not work in the new day. We need to open our mind and come at this in a new way. Just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean that's what's going to work now. It requires considering new possibilities, new ideas, new solutions. It requires a willingness to break the old rules and maybe create some new ones that we know will break at some point when we need to change those. It's coloring outside of the lines or it's thinking outside of the box. But I'll clarify that. I used to have a, a mentor in leadership who used to say, Vance, don't ever color outside of the lines. There are no lines. Don't ever think outside of the box. There is no box. As long as you keep looking at the lines and the box, you're going to be constrained. There's no line. There's no box. That's adaptive leadership. And by the way, that's always stuck with me. Uh, You'll hear that from me again. I would say that we've learned as a, as a people, as a world, and as a church about adaptive leadership over the last couple of years in this pandemic, haven't we? All of us have had to find new ways to thrive through a very unexpected pandemic. And we certainly did at church. We had to learn how to do worship online and learn how to adjust to worship online. We've learned to transfer how many things in our lives to Zoom. I never even heard of Zoom before the pandemic. We've learned new ways to use social media. We've learned to do things outside. We've learned how to somehow serve and socially distance at the same time, which was a challenge. We've learned to find ways to be connected in new ways, to minister to children and youth and homebound in new ways, to try new things. I'll be the first to confess, we didn't do a lot of that perfectly. In fact, I'll argue we didn't do any of it perfectly. <laughs> we, we made mistakes, and we tried again, and we tried again, and we're still trying to figure out what to do, right? But all the while, I will tell you, we stayed focused on the essential, the vision, seek and love God, love and serve people. We might have to do it differently than we expected, and now... As we're hopefully moving into a post-pandemic, we may have to do it differently again. Going back to today's story, Bishop Will Willimon once said, the Acts 6 church demonstrated an admirable ability to attend to the essential and to follow the leading of the Spirit and respond creatively to new challenge. He attended to the essential. You always have to stay focused on what's essential. That's key for adaptive leadership. It's just, it's just so easy to get distracted by tangential kind of peripheral side issues. Now, I'm not implying in that, in that, that if there was discrimination or bias going on that that's a tangential issue. It's not. If that was happening, it needed to be addressed for the long-term health and welfare of the church. That was critical Even if it was just an unconscious bias, which bias usually is, it needed to be addressed. There was a solution that was needed because conflicts need addressing, but it also required focusing on the real issue. 
I, I quoted a couple of weeks ago an author named Jason Biosley who wrote a book about uh, churches that are thriving in the north of England, and there aren't many. But he says this about thriving churches. He says, God speaks to the church by whom God sends to the church. Think about that for a minute. God speaks to the church by whom God sends to the church. Those who are arriving are a claim on those welcoming. So those welcoming have to listen very carefully. What is God saying and how do we respond? In this Acts 6 story, the church was a Judean church, an Aramaic-speaking church that all of a sudden Itself, all of a sudden found itself with all these new Greek-speaking folks, Jews who lived in other places, and they were bringing new issues that needed focus and attention. The, 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 the new Greek-speaking Christians were pushing the 12 to see different, to reassess needs, to focus on now what is essential, and to find adaptive alternatives. Now, here's a really interesting thing they did that we may just overlook. They said, choose seven, right? And don't just choose any seven. Choose spirit-led, wise, men of character. But listen to their names. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. Those aren't Jewish names. Those aren't Hebrew names. Those are Greek names. Part of the solution to this need to how do we take care of feeding the widows sufficiently and fairly was not just elevating new leaders to do that task, different kind of leaders, newcomers, new voices, people who, who were respected in that community. I mean, who better to see and address the biases than those who were most affected by them? It was a highly creative and wise and spirit-led decision. And so the 12, who were Judeans, found solutions. We can care for the widows, we can divide the, labors, the, the labor, but we can also elevate these Greek-speaking Jews who are now among us. There's a lot of lessons we can learn from this story in Acts 6. And honestly, as a preacher, I usually try to focus on one, but, but it, you can't ignore any of these in this particular story. But I think the core of it, the heart of it, is the role of the church in serving the needs of the world. The dignity, the honor, the importance of service. Notice that they didn't pick seven who made good casseroles. They didn't choose seven who had connections in the grocery business. They didn't choose seven farmers. They didn't choose people who knew how to make a good stew or bake good bread. They chose men who were wise, spirit-filled, respectable, persons of character, they would do the work. Now, the, the role of service would be equal to the role of teaching and preaching. The person baking the bread, the person scrubbing the pots, the person pouring drinks was just as valuable in the new body of Christ as the pastor in the pulpit or the pastor at the altar. It was an elevation of service. 
Dr. Martin Luther King once said, everyone can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. Hallelujah for that. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Or our own John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. One of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. We're not going to not serve God because we all need to teach and preach. Nope, there's work for all of us. We're not going to not serve because there's not enough food to go around. Nope, we'll figure that out. We're not going to not serve because now there's conflict that we don't know how to resolve. No, we'll figure this out, right? And lose no occasion for serving God. So how are you serving? How are you, what, what have you found as your place of service in the work of the kingdom? And what need, what concern, what issue, what problem, what conflict is there that you are God's answer for? If you're reading through the book of Acts with us this summer, and I hope you are, here's another plug, right? Go to, go to Summer of the Spirit, it'll lead you every day through a passage in Acts. But there is a, a recurring kind of phrase that happens over and over that you've probably noticed. For instance, Acts 2, 47. The Lord added daily to the community those who are being saved. Or today, Acts 6, 7. God's word continued to grow. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even a large number of priests embraced the faith. All through Acts, in key moments... Sometimes easy moments, not, some, not easy, but sometimes, you know, kind of miraculous moments and sometimes through conflict, like in Acts 6, the result was because they were faithful, growth. More people responded to the good news of Jesus. I wonder if there's any clues here for us today. Is it possible that their openness to the movement of the Spirit led them into a, a different kind of response? Is it the convictions and commitments of the early Christians? Is it their radical generosity, like we talked about last week? Is it their willingness to embrace difference and change? Is it their adaptation to their circumstances? Is it their commitment to justice? Is it their commitment to unity in the Spirit? Is, is it the elevation to the dignity of service? Is it their radical devotion to the risen Christ? What can we learn from them? What can we apply? What might spark that kind of movement among us at First Church Orlando today in the days to come? Let us pray. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us are there conflicts among us today that, that need addressing? Are there, are there issues getting in the way of us being the church, being the people you call us to be? Are there needs in the world that we need to see more clearly and to do more about? Holy Spirit, we look for those creative solutions and your inspiration in finding them. Lord, this world, this world that we live in needs your church more than ever. Help us, Lord, find a way to be faithful to your spirit as you want to move in this world and bring renewal and healing and restoration. Use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.